Hello, and welcome to the 108 Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we are the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember, Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. Yes. Hi, Raquel. I miss you. Hi. I miss you too. It's been a while since we've had a episode, just the two of us. So tell me what's been going on. Yeah. What has been going on? It feels like a lot, but a lot of you with kids, I'm sure can relate to this where someone asks you that and you're like, nothing. And then when you really think about it, you're like, but I was so busy, but why does it feel like nothing? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's been preschool, which is awesome. My two-year-old was definitely the one of my two children who was a lot more like anxious, uh, you know, starting school for the first time, kind of like crying and stuff. But I did the big little feelings method of like preparing her and talking about it and showing excitement and then like giving a definitive time so that her brain could understand when I'm picking her up. So like you know, it was very just like, I love you. I will see you after you're all done eating lunch. And it's been like three or four weeks now. And she walks herself into preschool. I have to be like, bye summer. I love you. And then she like remembers to turn around and wave and she's like smiling. Yay. Um, Little summer. I know. (laughs) I'm really proud of her because Hattie, God, I mean, she was as ready for preschool as I was. <laughs> she was like, get out of here. And she's still, uh, now she acts like a teenager. So when I drop her off, I'm not kidding. When I drop her off, I'll be like, hon, can I have a hug goodbye? And she's like, no, mom. Like Bye, truly, mom. Like, like embarrassed. And I would so much rather have it that way. Yeah. That's like my personality is I'd rather my kids be super willing to fly and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go um, be sad about it for two seconds alone in my car but I won't for one second show them like I just don't I don't like putting like my burden of Mm -hmm. like sadness or missing them on them it's not their responsibility to hold that for me you know I was definitely summer though as a kid I would cry a lot I think until I was super comfortable but it's hard she's transitioned I know I'm happy and then they we you and I were talking about this before we started but they um, finished up – they didn't finish swim lessons because they're at the age where they need just like constant refresh and practice, but they got to the point where they both could jump into the deep end of a pool fully clothed with shoes on mm-hmm. and swim underwater, roll to float, catch their breath, and just wait there. And so I just feel this huge weight lifted off of me as a parent that I didn't know was there. Yeah. The safety piece. That's huge. I mean, I know it can be so dangerous. So yay. That's, they went through that fast. I remember when you were just starting and now they're like pros. Well, I know, but it's because this, the method, yeah, she has you come three to five times a week (laughs) depending on her schedule. And she's in such high demand that it's like when she says, okay, I'm available, you rearrange your life to do this. (laughs) That's when you know it's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, How about you? What's going on in your life? Well, I just got back from Georgia. I was there for the weekend for the Connected in Motion slipstream, which is basically a like T1D 
diabetes summer camp for adults, I guess you could say. Um, it's basically just a weekend. They do them throughout the country. They also have it in Canada um, where you're in nature. This time we were at like a YMCA camp place in Georgia and you got to just hang out with all these other type ones. And this was really cool because um, it ranged from age probably like 20 to 60, maybe even higher. Um and people are just there to connect with the community and also dive into a lot of deep topics. Like we had some sessions about mental health and like a hot topic session where you were talking about everything from sex and diabetes to alcohol to traveling and all the different things. Um, and I was there actually technically with the Diabetes Link, which used to be College Diabetes Network, uh, which is basically a group that provides all kinds of resources for young adults. Um, but also they have their college groups, which is how my whole journey with the Type 1 community started when I was in college at UT Austin. I was part of that group. And so uh, I was there like taking photos and videos for them and just connecting with everyone. So it was my second time going to one. I went to one in Maine a few years ago and it was the best ever. And so many people there were just sharing how they wish they went to diabetes camp as a kid. I went to like a day camp for a week every summer. My parents wanted me to go to a sleepaway camp, but I did not want to go and they respected that. Um, but looking back, I kind of wish that I went. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad they didn't say me. now. Yeah, easy yes. to say now when you're like fully comfortable sleeping yes. away from them. But I also Nothing. had a hard time sleeping away. Yes. Um, until I was a teenager. And then I was like, uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I also just have never liked when there's organized activities that you're forced to do. Like if I didn't want to play kickball, I didn't want to play. And like, I feel like at camp, they would always make you do stuff like that. Yes. And I like being outside, but I don't like doing the super rigorous stuff. Like they had high ropes courses at this place and it was fun to watch, but I was like, I will not be <laughs> the one oh, up was, there. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you didn't do it. I was more open to it than I would have been in the past, but it was raining that day too. So it was super slippery and I was yeah. so tired from not really sleeping. The cabins, there were bugs, but also there was so much beeping all night from all the Dexcoms. <laughs> and so we did not get a lot of sleep and we were just up late having fun. So yeah, it was truly such a special weekend. I came back just craving more community like that and realizing even though I'm someone that talks about diabetes all day, clearly like doing type one together with you it's just so important for me to have my own community and people that I can talk to. And there's still so much going on inside that like I need to work through. Yeah. Um, even though on the surface, it feels like I already am fine. But like I was like almost crying yesterday of like happiness, just feeling so thankful. And uh, I don't know, I just feel so supported. So it made me really want to like encourage everyone to find their people too. Yeah. I wonder if part of that is like, you are healing your inner child who avoided like you know regular community yeah you know what I mean because I know that you did walks and like you said uh -huh. you did the camps and stuff but it just wasn't as prevalent when you're younger mm -hmm. right and so and just like with the minimal to no social media um, yeah like it just yeah, it had to have been more challenging and then the stigma or whatever. Like, I don't know. I I didn't have a type one friend. Like, I didn't yeah. know anyone with type one growing up. And if I did, they kept it to themselves. <laughs> yes, I think you're definitely right. I'm processing a lot from then. And also, I think I realized that me building my own community on type one day and type one together 
is literally how I'm healing. Like, I don't think I would be okay with just like living with diabetes and not being involved. And we had this discussion actually with Anna Sabino, who's our diabetes educator. Um, She was there too. And she did a talk on mental health and she was asking us like, who in your life do you feel like you want support from? But like, they're not there yet, whether it's because we haven't really opened up. It's it's really our job, right? To like bring it up to people and let people know in our lives that we actually want support. That's something that I didn't understand for a really long time because sometimes it feels really bad when people aren't asking all these questions. But when people tell me about other health conditions that they have, I don't know what to say. I feel awkward and I want to help and be kind, but I don't want to ask the wrong thing. And I think a lot of people feel that way about type one. And it's taken me a long time to realize like, my friends actually want to know, but I have to say to them, like literally out loud, like if, if something small comes up, I'll kind of say at the same time, like, I love answering questions. Like what else do you want to know? You know, and opening yeah. up for them because otherwise they just feel weird about it. And so many people that were at this retreat, I mean, there were a lot of tears in this one session. Um, they just felt like their people didn't understand anything they were going through. And I started to think about all the people in my life and how I'm thankful to say now, like most people in my life either have type one because of the community that I'm in, which is funny, but it's just the truth. Um, or they follow my account, which I cringe whenever someone follows my diabetes account that does not have type <laughs> one. And I know in real life, like I really, really hate it at first, but then I'm like, you know what? This is how they're going to know about it. And I've had so many of them tell me that they've learned so much and they love following it. And it's so informative. And so it kind of forces me into vulnerability with them. But I don't know what I would do if I wasn't already in, immersed in such a big community like this. So I don't know, like people were just sharing how they've had spouses that, you know, they've been married for over 20 years and they still don't know anything about diabetes. They don't follow the numbers and it's not that they don't want to. But again, like the people in this group that had type one were realizing that they haven't really opened up that part of their lives and they've kept it so private, which is so heavy to carry. And so mm-hmm. I think there's so much here also that would resonate with parents. like you've got to open up to other people. And also at the same time, I've had this realization that I have so many type one friends now. And I'm like, why is that? Because we don't even talk about diabetes half the time. They're just like my best friends. And I think the reality is that my other friends, they will never understand a huge part of me in my life, no matter how much I explain it to them. Unless they're a parent of a type one like you, you get it more so. But it's like, they just don't get it. And I will never be able to relate to them in that same way that I can with these other people. It's like we just get each other. And there's something about the type one community. There's so much strength and just there's maturity. Like there's something there that's just like I find so many good people in this community, which honestly makes me so thankful for having diabetes, which is crazy to say. (laughs) I know. But like, I I mean, of course, I I wouldn't have it if I didn't have to. But With this situation, I really am thankful for the people in my lives. And uh, that was a big tangent, but I'm just like on fire with so much like. I love it. Thoughts from the weekend. <laughs> it's, it's forced trauma bonding. Is yeah. what it is. <laughs> like, sorry. It is. It is. But it is. It's like, I mean, the the most connected that I have felt to parents that I don't know was from the post that you came up with on our Instagram where you asked, like, mm-hmm. what do you wish other people knew about being a type one parent? There's, I want to say like 200 comments or something on that yeah. post. And just reading through them, I was so, I I told Raquel that day, you guys, like, whoa, I was not expecting that post to heal me. I almost like 
was able to step away from my director of parent support role and just be a type one parent and participate Mm -hmm. in like this community where it didn't feel like I was leading. It didn't feel like I was, you know, offering the support. It, It felt like I was just immersed in support and like being held tight by all of you. And so it was very, I don't know. It was very cool and yeah. yeah, it's the trauma bonding for sure. It really is. And it made me want to do more events for Type 1 Together, which has always been a goal. So uh, we are planning two events in October in Los Angeles and San Diego for Type 1 families. Um, we really hope to do some in other areas soon as we grow. But we've been talking for a while about doing some sort of like even overnight or full day parent retreat or mom's retreat. And so this has really made me want to move forward with something like that hopefully in 2024 so keep your eyes open for that and just know that like every podcast you listen to every post you like every product you buy like it is helping us get to the point to be able to do things in other areas it's not that we don't want to it's just expensive (laughs) so yeah we're figuring it out but I am just excited and thankful for this community and to have all of you as well so that was a lot but (laughs) (laughs) and I'm really excited about the conversation we're about to have Yeah. Yes, me too. Um, Do you want to dive into it? Sure. So we're going to talk about time and range and A1Cs and the mental side of all of that and the feelings of it being a report card and, you know, just all the different, there's a lot we want to say, but just know that if you're not in the place to listen to this, that's totally okay. You can come back to this anytime or never listen to it. Um, But at the same time, we are going to walk through our journeys within like how A1Cs and all those numbers and everything have affected us in different ways at different times and kind of how we've gotten to the point that we're at now and we're still evolving and always will be. So this isn't at all about just like sharing our A1Cs if we even choose to share them. Um, It's just about like how hard those numbers and all the data can sometimes be, right? So. And just like the conversation around the sharing of those numbers and the sharing of those graphs and stuff and how it can both negatively and positively impact you and just like what it does to the diabetes space. Yes. Um, And we did do a poll on this on our stories last week. And I think one of the options I put is when other people share their A1Cs, like, do you feel inspired like if they can do it I can do it too and I I want to say was that the that was the biggest response um Mm -hmm. I should look at this and then the second biggest response was that um you feel discouraged and horrible about yourself yeah (laughs) which is understandable it is understandable I think that I I would venture to say that most people go through having a negative reaction to seeing other like super amazing A1Cs and time and ranges at some point in their diabetes journey because we as the human species compare ourselves and we are naturally inclined to self-preserve and our ego gets in the way of everything all the time. I mean, it just is the truth of like (laughs) how humans operate, you know? Absolutely. I I do think that like 
recognizing that all of those things exist in you and they aren't necessarily bad things, but just like acknowledging them and then moving forward with your thought process is going to help you uh, get through it because it's like you can just block it all out and get off of the online space and choose not to participate, but then you are losing out on the great parts of the diabetes online space where you do feel the connection. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, first, okay, let's just set the stage like t- time and range versus A1C. Like A1C is not everything. And I think that's really important to say because just because you see someone's A1C that is a six or something, that doesn't mean that that person or their child is in range all the time and has this perfect straight line. If someone is bouncing from 60 to 400 to 50 to 390 to, you know, up and down and up and down all day long, which is very common, especially with newly diagnosed people, uh, their A1C could appear low. And the reason for that is because it's just technically an average of what your numbers are. And so, it doesn't actually mean that much. So I just want to first like take the pressure off of like what A1C is in that way because just because someone's sharing that number it does not mean anything really at all. You don't know the behind the scenes of that number. So mm-hmm. I do like to focus more on time and range and you can obviously set your range. Mine is I think uh, 70 to 180 right now on the Dexcom. Mm-hmm. And that number can give us a lot more information like how much of the time are you actually in range Uh, And even standard deviation is a really important number because it kind of tells you how much you're going up and down, which is just not good for your body. Like even if you're in somewhat of a tight range, but you're just always constantly up and down, which is something that I personally really struggle with. Uh, I tend to have very like just not very like steady blood sugars all the time. Like they're always seem, you know, they're moving. Yeah. (laughs) That's how things go sometimes. So uh, I try to pay attention to standard deviation because it's important that your body's not always just going on a roller coaster. But yeah, do you have anything Uh, to add, Amanda? Well, just that like to understand that and to get to that mental headspace of like pushing past the stigma of A1Cs and stuff, you have to give yourself some time to really understand the nitty gritty in like the quote unquote master's level diabetes management, you know? So like Mm -hmm. everyone starts out with the, the basics, like let's learn the basics. Let's just get a handle on what is diabetes, like the in theory management. And then you enter like the master's level diabetic management. And I think that A1C is more closely tied with the basics. So endos and like the early days when you're very first starting, they tend to focus on the A1C and bring it up and you get your A1C at diagnosis and they tell you, let's try and get it down to, you know, seven is kind of the goal set by the Mm -hmm. ADA, right? And so you tend to focus on that. And then little by little, as you really start to understand all the other factors and everything that goes into diabetic management, that is when, at least for me, I started to go, wait, I'm going to kind of ignore the A1C and not like check in on it because you know how in the Dexcom Clarity app, it gives you like the projection. Which is always wrong, by the way. It's always wrong. It's always (laughs) higher. It's always higher than it is. It's always higher than what it actually is. Um, But then I started focusing on 
the um, time and range. And then once I got to a time and range that I was really comfortable with where I met that balance of like, okay, we are pretty consistently above this number that I set for myself and my mental health is okay. And my child gets to eat what she wants and there's balance. Like all of those things kind of met up with each other. Once we got to that point, then I started focusing on the standard deviation in an attempt to avoid severe spikes and to avoid mountain peaks. But if you guys follow us on Type One Together or on Instagram, TikTok, whatever, I you sh- see the CGM case studies that I post. Like Hattie's numbers are not always flat. And it's for a lot of reasons, but I'm mainly really want to emphasize that if you have a child, not only are you battling all of the other factors that go into managing blood sugar, but then you're battling a child that is unpredictable with their eating habits, their activity, their like internal hormones that you don't know, you can't feel. And a lot of times you're battling with a kid who can't communicate fully what they're feeling, what they want, what they actually need. Perfect example. This morning I said, Hattie, what do you want for breakfast? I'm not hungry, mom. Okay. Five minutes later, she said, wow, my tummy is rumbly. Might be pretty hungry now. I'm like, okay, now what do you want? She goes, I want you to surprise me, which Hmm. is the worst because I always surprise her the wrong way because she's a toddler, you know? And so I said, yeah, I said, I don't like this game. Um, How about I just tell you? I think I might peel you a banana. And she was like, yeah, I want a banana. And so I dosed her. This is not medical advice. This is what I do. I dosed her for 35 grams, anticipating that banana being anywhere from 28 to 30 grams because she had nothing else in her belly. I knew the banana was going to spike, spike, spike her. Yeah. And she said, yes, I want the banana. And so I peeled it and put it on the plate after I pre-bolused her. And she had zero insulin on board and nothing in her stomach. So now she's got, after I pre-bolused her, now she has almost three units of (laughs) insulin. And she takes one bite of banana and she goes, I don't want this banana. (laughs) And it's like how it's, you know, it's just one of those things where I have given myself permission for the spikes and permission for the the mountain ranges mm-hmm. to happen. Yes. And I balance it with attempting to keep her standard deviation under like 35-ish percent. Yeah. And no one has straight blood sugars. Like the goal should no. never be completely flat lines. That's where I think a lot of us get it wrong in the beginning. Like anyone without diabetes does not have straight line. There are a lot of things that spike blood sugar Food will spike, you know, if someone eats pizza for dinner, anyone, they're going to spike to 130 at least, uh, maybe 150 even. And cortisol, like all the other little things that affect our blood sugar also affect other people's blood sugar. So like trying for a straight line is just kind of silly in my opinion. Like, Mm -hmm. but you know, when we're talking about the peaks, we're talking like big, big, big spikes up and down, which we both still have a lot of, but just not as much. But yeah, so I think 
my journey, if I take it back to being a child and going into my endo appointments, I would be very nervous going to them. And I remember like shaking, just being so scared to get my A1C back. And I didn't have Dexcom when I was younger, right? So there was no idea. You didn't know what you were going to be. There was no time and range. Like, how are they supposed to know? No standard deviation. You just had your finger picked when you got there and they would tell your A1C within like 10 minutes. And all I remember is they had this chart on the wall and this chart like scarred me for life because it had ranges and it was like green, yellow, red. And I'm pretty sure it had like a sad face next to red and like a, of course, course. like so traumatic. And I didn't know what A1C really meant. I just knew that it meant if I was doing good or bad and if I was in the red range, which definitely happened, or maybe I I remember being like the yellow creeping up to red, they would tell me like, you're in this range, like you need to try to get it down. But I didn't know what I was doing. And obviously like my family was there in the room with me and they helped me. But, uh, I think just the way that you talk to kids about A1C and explaining what it means, if they're there and like understanding the number, maybe Hattie's not to that point, but it's like that does stick with someone. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, even this last weekend at the retreat, we were talking about how the Dexcom clarity reports or even just the graph itself has very aggressive colors, right? It's like you're in the red, you're in the yellow, you're in the green, and it's like very much labeling good and bad blood sugars. And I'm not someone that totally believes like there's no such thing as good and bad blood sugars, but I do believe that your blood sugars do not make you good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that certain blood sugars make you feel crappy and others make you feel good. So there's that, but it doesn't need to be this big like red, green, yellow, like whatever. So yeah, so that's how my journey kind of started. And then I don't know, I think I was, you know, in the sevens or eights for a lot of my life. And I just remember when I got into college, I found College Diabetes Network. Then I found the online community. I started seeing some people sharing their A1Cs. And I think at first I was kind of like, whoa, my A1C is not that. But then it did very quickly switch to, wait, they're also a dancer and they have an A1C of six. Like they're also eating cake and they have an A1C of six. Like they're they can do that. So can I, you know? And it was like such a light bulb moment. And then I was like, wait, how can I do this? Like it empowered me to figure it out. And I don't know, that journey hasn't been linear, but at the same time, it's like, if I had not seen those numbers, I would not be where I am today, which is why I actually pushed Amanda to have this conversation (laughs) because I was like, I think it is important to be inspired by other people's, but in a very like real way, that's not. Yes. So yes, this is where I was thinking about it. Like why? Because there was definitely a point where it pushed me to work really hard, but it was mostly a negative thing to see other parents post their kids' A1Cs that were like super high quality. And I think it's because I saw mostly low fives and straight lines and super narrow ranges. And that felt like an impossible task to me. And a lot of low carbers too doing that, right? Yes, which I was not willing to do to my child. Like do what works for you. And if you are happy doing that, if your child is happy doing that, more power to you guys. Totally agree. Yes, but it was not going to work for us. Like I, I couldn't deal with the fights. It was going to 
completely mess up my mental health. I would be very anxious going anywhere. And Hattie, she's very intuitive. She's very aware of what's going on. So she would immediately pick up, I am different. I don't get to eat that. It would be conversation after conversation. Like I such a tangent, sorry, but I was just super unwilling to do it. So I felt kind of stuck like, oh God, I'm never going to be able to do that. And then basically, am I a worse mom because I can't get her down to 5.2 or 5.3? And what ended up happening is I, first of all, on MDI, I kind of just gave up on being in the fives. You know, my goal became, I just want to get where my endocrinologist wants us to be, which was about seven. And that was based on like, okay, the research shows that if you are around seven for most of your life as a type one diabetic, your chances of developing other diabetic related health issues Mm -hmm. are minimal. And so Mm -hmm. that's, that's a really amazing goal, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like do what you can for your kids so that when you hand over care, when they're 14, 18, whatever, you can say like, I kept you as close to seven as I could. So in theory, you don't develop diabetic retinopathy or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was my goal. And I was able to get down to 7.2 on MDI with incredibly exhaustive carb counting, writing everything down, extra injections, injections through pajamas four times in the middle of the night to combat those stubborn highs. And it was just like, this is so hard and so defeating. And then when we got on the pump for us and my daughter's age and her body, that was when I went, oh, I can, she can live the life that I want her to live. Mm -hmm. Foods that any other kid without diabetes can eat. And I now have like all this extra wiggle room to learn how to dose accordingly and how to work with her body specifically. So then I started adjusting my own goals for myself and it had nothing to do with Hattie ever, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I still really check in with myself a lot and focus on, she is a kid it is not her responsibility to finish the banana that I dosed her for. She says she's not hungry. Like it's now my responsibility to fill the gaps and make sure she doesn't go low and find something that she will eat and figure it out, you know? And so, sorry, I just go on so many tangents. I've (laughs) No, it's all great. And I'm sure like that side of the guilt, like that's like a whole different area that I can't relate to. Like when I realized that other people are doing it, it's like I had complete power to lower it for myself, but I don't know. It's obviously so different on the parents' yeah. side. It's it's like I think I got to this point where I was like, okay, I have the power to like narrow get get our time and range higher. So I I stopped focusing on the A1C. Once I got her down mm-hmm. to 7.2 on MDIs, I stopped focusing on the A1C and I started focusing on the time and range when we were um, 
on the pump because I started getting more and more comfortable as time went on with like the micro boluses and with like, hmm, I wonder yes. what giving 0.1 by myself and not just mm-hmm. letting the algorithm do it. Like, I wonder how much that brings her down. So then I slowly started getting comfortable with like, you've been at 160 for 20 minutes. I'm going to give you 0.1, 0.15 and just like get you down to 120 just because we yeah. have a meal coming up in an hour and a half. So why not start at 120 instead of 160? so that we're spiking to 160 and we're not spiking to 200, you know? So I started messing around with that. And once I started seeing our time and range creeping up, like the A1C naturally kept lowering. Yeah. And basically, am I choosing to share this? I'm going to choose to share this. Um, and so if you do not want to hear a toddler's A1C or time and range, like skip ahead. But I basically figured out that for us, for like the balance that I have, that where my mental health is good, her time and range is good, her A1C is good, and she eats whatever she wants and lives the life that she wants and doesn't understand that she's diabetic most of the time unless it's a pump change day is anything above 80% time and range I'm happy with. Um, We typically see more like 85%. And that naturally gives us A1Cs in the fives and low sixes. And Mm -hmm. I am perfectly happy with that. I do not see a 5.7 A1C and go, next one's got to be 5.3. That's not how I operate. I'm just yeah, that's a, mm-hmm. sorry. Just like no, this is just where we're at, and I'm so happy and at peace and comfortable with it. And yes. like we were talking about earlier, we still bounce. Mm-hmm. Like we'll be in the fives at one visit and the sixes at the next visit, and it is because she was sick or because I was extra tired or because we started school and like figuring out that management was challenging. Or because she freaking grew three inches because she's a kid. <laughs> and it is yeah. what it is. It's going to keep changing too. And I think you know that. Like as she gets older, yes. this is where you're at now and what's working right now. But it might work for her to be in the mid sixes when she's 10, you know? Yes. Or even like I've even – I've literally had this thought where I'm like I, I can sense my child's personality already and I know th- where it's going to lead. And I can like feel by the time she's 11, 12, 13, her being like – I've got it, you know I've got it, and really wanting me to back off and mm-hmm. telling myself like, okay, we're probably going to see some sevens and that's okay. Or like, eights, yeah. Yes, or eights. Like who who knows exactly? It Prioritizing the mental health of her, making sure that she mm-hmm. understands like that her disease is serious, but she also doesn't need to eat lettuce and ground turkey every day and have an A1C of 5.1. That's yes, just my yes. personal thing, you know? No, and I, sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> basically, it's, basically I just want to put it out there. And I, I don't want anyone to feel attacked. Anyone who does take it super seriously and who constantly wants to improve, like I am not attacking you. I'm really not. This is not a conversation directed at you. It is a conversation for the parents who 
are struggling with attempting to find perfection for their children. And I want you guys to really hear me that find the A1C, the time and range, and like the life balance, those three things that work for you. And then slowly but surely work your way to that point and then just live your life you know live your life it's so freaking important yeah um oh, I have so many thoughts like where do I start <laughs> so yeah I mean I've had A1Cs growing up I recently found some old paperwork at my home in Dallas and like I found cards that said I had A1Cs in the sixes and sevens and eights and you know I'm 21 years into this no signs of any complications at all yet obviously that's individual like I can't guarantee that for your child but uh, that's been a big relief and even this past weekend being with diabetics who have lived with it for 50 years or 40 years or 30 years like they're all doing great and they were telling me how when they first were diagnosed they literally had to pee on a stick to uh, get their blood sugar range not even a reading a range and by the time they peed it wasn't even like accurate to what it actually was and they're still doing great and so that also gives me so much hope like if they could do it then and they're fine now, what we have is so good. We have so much good technology and that already gives us a gigantic leg up where we're probably putting ourselves in a position for success. Um, so yeah, my I'll share mine now, I guess. Um, my most recent A1C was a 5.3, which is I think the lowest I've ever been. Um, and I didn't believe it. I got it retested. <laughs> Uh, they did like a finger prick one and a blood test one. I was like, this doesn't seem right because this is the thing. I still have a lot of spikes. I still have a lot of days where I'm not above 90% in range. And it was really confusing to me that I could have that low of an A1C and still be seeing the variability that I do. Um, but I think there's like different times, whether it's like overnight that I've like really, you know, gotten it down and I'm in the 80 range all night or whatever. We'll go into some tips in a little bit about like specific things that we did that did help. But one of the things that can happen when you get anyone see that low, and I've talked to a family that I babysit for about this too. Their daughter's a little bit older, but it's like when you get that number, it almost brings you fear of like, oh my gosh, I did this great. Like I have to stick to this every single time. Like now I'm going to be a failure if I go up. And that is just not true. Like we said, like you're going through different phases of life. And for me, One of the reasons why I put in so much work to get it so low in the first place was because I really want to have kids. And I know that when that time comes, your A1C has to be in the fours or the fives or, you know, maybe low sixes, but they ask for it lower. And I know that I wanted to kind of prove to myself that like I could get it there. And I even know that I could get it lower right now if I wanted to. I know how, but like Amanda was saying, it's not always worth your mental health and energy to get that number. I was actually DMing with someone yesterday. He was telling me that he's newly diagnosed. Uh, He was really high for a long time before like A1Cs in the 14s, whatever, got it down to the fives and he's miserable. He's so miserable. And his doctor is just telling him, well, you're doing something that works, so keep doing it. (laughs) And he said he even tried to express to them like, all I do is think about carbs. I haven't eaten anything with sugar in the past, you know, three months. Like he's doing everything in his power to keep the number there. And what I told him is like, what is the point of living and putting all of this work into diabetes if you don't actually get to enjoy your life? Like yeah. there's there's just no point. I'd rather have a little bit of a higher A1C 
and enjoy my life. So again, I feel weird sharing the number. I've never done that online. Um, and I really don't want you all to take it the wrong way, but I also know for the people out there who need the, like, I can do it too, or maybe even maybe my child can do this in the future, you know, like that was really real for me. And so I felt like it was important to put it out there, but it doesn't make me better than you. It doesn't make me more capable than you, anything like that. Like it's just a number, but I will say I love having a number like this because I feel good. And that's really my biggest motivation. It's not about having like a report card that, you know, I'm just not a better person for it. Well, I think like a huge part of what makes it's so important to talk about quality time and ranges and A1Cs and show our tough days is to show you guys that like, like I was saying earlier, an A1C in the low fives does not mean a straight line between 80 and 110. That's not what it means. Like you, you can have variability, like we can have tough toddler days where it takes me six hours to get her to come down from that stubborn nighttime spike. That's all growth hormone. And like she, we're still going to have a good A1C. We're still going to have a good time in range. Um, and I will say that like I started focusing when I very first started focusing on time and range, I really looked at the two day all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I started to force myself to only look at the 30 and 90 day. And that helped my mental health so much because yeah. when you're in the thick of a really tough two, three, four days and you start seeing that time and range slip away from, for me, it was like, oh no, we're down to a time and range of 75. Oh no, we're down to a time and range of 65. Oh, 52. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is the worst day we've had in a long time. But like, then I would go check the 90 day and I'm like, oh, we're still at 83% range. Like, Yes. When you zoom <laughs> out, it's a relief. That happens all the time. Yes. And it's just like knowing that those couple tough days do not mean forever and they don't mean an automatic like failure stamp at your next endo clinic or at no appointment. And I yeah. think, gosh, this am- is so important because parents and caregivers and like adult diabetics themselves, like everyone needs to remember that, but especially parents and caregivers, remember that your stress and anxiety and like conversation around these numbers, your kids will pick up on it, whether you mean for them to or not. And so then you're setting them up if you're ultra anxious and constantly focused on it and you only celebrate the super low stuff and, you know, whatever, like they're going to pick up on that and you, you don't know how that's going to affect them long-term. Can't be good. No, it cannot be good. Yeah. All these numbers are just data and I think it can be hard to look at it that way, but it can be helpful information for the future. And it's just some days you just can't do it. You don't have the energy (laughs) and that's okay too. Like there's a lot of days where I'm just like, today I'm not striving for 70% range. Like I'm just letting it be because you can't have everything all the time. Like you can't have a happy life and work and 
Yeah. out. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because I tell my girls that obviously not related to diabetes. Yeah. But like I'm it's so bad. they're both in this big. I want I want but I want yeah. but I want to do that. But it's mine, but I want it and I my husband and I both talk all the time <laughs> to them about it's wanting things is okay. Actually getting everything you want is not how the world works. And so this yes. morning, Summer was like trying to wiggle away from me as I was getting her ready for preschool. And she was like, I want my right foot. Like she was messing with me, trying to make me put her shoes on the opposite feet. And I was like, Summer, no, you're making this difficult. Can you please stop? Like just leave your foot like that. And Hattie goes, Summer, you don't get everything you want. <laughs> being such an older sister i love it so funny so yeah yeah. you you can't like there's just not 100 percent of everything and uh it's also funny i talked to my friends about this like we'll get super upset at ourselves if we like go over 200 like 198 is fine but like when you get to 200 oh no you're you're you pass the threshold or 300 or whatever it is and it's so stupid when you think about it same thing with time and range 89% not good enough or 79% but once you hit 80 you're fine right it's like yep. it's just a number also the dexcom is wrong half the time so like is that number even completely real yep. like there's just so many variations like why do we put this kind of pressure on ourselves it's just not necessary. It doesn't help. It just should be used as data and information that we can use to help us move forward and to check in with, well, for me, how I feel. I know you can't do that, which is tough, but well, I use it in that way. I like, as you were talking about that, I just had this other thought that the all this information is incredibly helpful. And I would rather be in this day and age where we have access to all of this data because it's helpful you know and it creates a better quality of life like it just does but now that we're almost we're approaching two years it'll be two years in january now that we're getting to that point i am like more comfortable with hattie's awareness of her body like she's hypo unaware ish till she's in like the 50s and then she'll start to be like I'm really hungry or I don't feel good or Mm -hmm. I think I'm low and I'll take that I'd rather her be aware of it in the 60s but maybe whatever it is what it is yeah and so it's funny because just recently I don't think my husband's at this point yet but just recently I've started to look forward to the Dexcom warm-up break Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Because I stopped thinking about it so much. And yes. she's like, she's not as scared as finger of finger pokes because she's very used to them. We figured out the lancet depth that gets the exact amount of blood without being painful. You know, so she's just like not scared of it. I trust that I'm going to see when she's low. I I trust that if I'm really curious, she's just gonna hand over a finger and not think anything of it. Yeah. And it's like this amazing two-hour reprieve where I'm just like hmm, literally me <laughs> that's like such a joke in the diabetes community like pretending I don't have diabetes for two hours yeah <laughs> it's so real I think it's important sometimes to turn off the alarms to turn mm-hmm. off I mean I know you can't as a parent like completely just not look at the Dexcom but there are things you can do like raising the alarms even like instead like if you're usually trying to 
you know, catch a high at 180, maybe you don't have the mental capacity for it, you move it to 250. And that's okay. Like you have to see what works for you in that day. And I'm always changing things like that. I personally don't have high alarms on at all, ever. I look at my numbers so often. I know when I'm spiking, plus my pump now catches some of that high, right? And it'll dose some insulin because of control IQ. So I don't have high alerts on because I go mentally crazy if it is beeping at me all day long. And I know that about myself. And so, yes, I have low alerts on, but um, you kind of have to learn what works for you. And yeah. Do you have anything else to say, Amanda, before we go into a couple tangible tips? No. I'm sorry. I'm as you're saying that, I'm about to text Hattie's teacher. <laughs> Do it, please. Um, they're on they're on the playground and we have been working on like uh they basically like watch you know, whatever. Basically, I need to text her teacher and just ask her to give an applesauce before we get too low. Yes, please. Do I'm it. in the mental headspace where I can do this instead of having yes. a low. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. A couple like things that really helped me lower my A1C and this is not at all like this is things you should do. I'm just sharing in case it helps you. This is not medical advice. Um, I also want to say that there's something that like clicks at some point where you just kind of figure out how blood sugar and insulin work together. And when that happens, sometimes A1C will drop really fast, like almost in a way that's just completely shocking. That's what happened to me with my 5.3. Like I was in the sixes for so long and then all of a sudden it wasn't like 5.8. It just like dropped. So I've had these like different levels where it's like dropped several times. And I think it's because it's actually like, like once you get into like somewhat of a lower range, it just kind of like works i don't know how to explain Mm -hmm. it if you know maybe you know what i'm saying you get it you get it but uh okay three things that i can think of off the top of my head number one learning to not over treat lows complete game changer Mm -hmm. when i would over treat lows even just a little bit i would all of a sudden be in the 200s and then it would take more insulin to get down and then i'd be low again and then it'd send me on the roller coaster so as soon as i learned that sometimes i only need a few fruit snacks or a few sips of juice like completely change the game. So that's my tip number one. Before I go to my next one, maybe Amanda can get one. Yeah. Uh, my tip number one, that's not medical advice at all, is um, <laughs> I got really comfortable doing this, honestly, with MDIs, uh, but super comfortable with the pump is that when she was high, if I saw her climbing super fast or if she was just stuck for a long time at 200, 250, I would just bolus her a lot. Like, rage bolus. Yeah, <laughs> rage bolus. And then tell myself to like actively watch it and catch it at 100 with a little bit yeah. without overtreating, with a little bit of carbs. So rage bolus, get it down. Like let's just knock this out. I don't need that slow creeping back down into range now. No, no, no. Let's drop double arrows down. I love it yep. sometimes. Double, double arrows down, and then I see her at 120. She's just dropped to 102. All right. Here is an honest juice box that has eight grams of carbs. Yep. And exactly. here's a spoonful of peanut butter. You know? Yeah. That only happens when you get really comfortable and confident with your kid knowing what they will always have, what they'll always say yes to when it comes to low snacks. And what sources of protein, fat, and fiber they'll almost always say yes to as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that one. 
Um, okay. I know I just talked about not having alarms on, but this is something that really helped me when I first was trying to get my A1C down. And that was realizing that the alarm needed to be set at like 150 or 160 if I wanted to avoid a 200. Because if you wait, I used to have alarm set at 200 or 250, then you're already high and you've missed your opportunity to avoid the spike. And so when you really like that, I predict that when I'm pregnant, like I would make my if I wanted to stay under 130 or whatever they say you need to do, yeah. which is crazy, uh, I will set my alert at 120, you know, or 110 to be able to catch it. So yes. that's I, – I would not do that on a normal basis, but it yes. is a nice starting point to get things moving. For sure. Okay. My next tip is pump therapy. Um we were told that Hattie would have to be probably six or seven years old before she could go on a pump. Toddlers don't really go on pumps. We don't put two-year-olds on pumps, blah, 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 blah. Well, I called bullshit and put my foot down and demanded it and bugged and bugged and bugged. I did not take no for an answer. I asked to speak to other nurses because I, I got like kind of shoo-shooed by a couple of the CDCESs through the like mm-hmm. online texting portal. And, um, eventually I was just like, I want to talk to someone else. We're ready for this. Our quality of life is suffering. And, um, I will say that this isn't sponsored by Omnipod, but you should sponsor us Omnipod. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the Omnipod five is what we went with. And it's awesome because it's a prescription. It's not a contract. So I chose to start with that pump because I knew that we could just cancel the prescription and then switch to um, something else if it really wasn't working for us. But pump therapy changed everything for us. Her A1C dropped from 7.2 to 6.4 in three and a half months. Yes. On the pump. I love it. Um, okay. Another one I have is noticing that you have dawn phenomenon or foot to floor which is basically like when you start to spike as soon as you get up whether it's before you even stand out of bed or as soon as your feet hit the floor and dosing before you even are thinking about breakfast so for example this morning woke up noticed I was already 134 which you could see that I had been in the 80s and 90s all night and then as soon as I started to wake up I was 130 gave myself a full unit again that's just me I'm bigger (laughs) than a lot of your kids but gave myself a unit And by the time I got up, got dressed, walked the dog, whatever, and I was ready for breakfast, I was 93. So I set myself up for success for eating breakfast instead of already being 160, slightly up, going up at breakfast and then having to dose for the spike and the food and trying to catch it. And so that would usually cause a spike, you know, same roller coaster effect I was talking about before. It's it's a big one. Yes, that's a good one. Um, Okay, my next tip is for those of you who, well, I guess this applies to both nighttime highs. I pretty, pretty quickly, even on MDI, just put my foot down. Like I would call into the clinic and say, like, she goes high all the time. And, you know, like she just sits there for hours and hours and hours. It makes me so anxious. And, you know, I would, I would like feel happy if she dipped below 250 for the night. And, um, we would try different lantus doses and that would send her low. So basically we figured out it was growth hormone. And, um, I, even on MDI started to get comfortable with giving her correction boluses 
um, or correction injections through her pajamas while she was sleeping. She never woke up. Yeah, This is not medical advice at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really <laughs> stressing that. Yes, okay? yes. But my husband and I would take turns giving her extra insulin, half unit, one unit, to get that 310 blood sugar down because it was just such a nightmare and she felt like crap the next morning. And then in the same breath, when we were on, once we got onto pump therapy, the Omnipod 5 can only push that algorithm so much before it stops giving background insulin because it's too nervous to give more and send them crashing low. And so you have to teach the Omnipod 5. Like, And yeah. sometimes I'll go in and it's 9.30 at night and she just jumped by plus 8, plus 11, plus 12, plus 13. So I know that we have growth hormone happening. I'm positive it's not delayed pizza night spike or whatever, right? So I go in and I see what the pump suggests if I put in zero carbs and current blood sugar. And more often than not, it'll say 0.1, 0.2, or even zero units. And I'll go, nope, I can just feel that she needs Mm 0.6. And so I'll give it and it teaches the pump, you need to give, give more. She needs more. This time of night, it needs more. And by doing that in three or four nights, the pump does start to catch it on its own. We have a better stretch. That's very cool. I don't think I realized that about the Omnipod. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. My only other tip was going to be specifically about nighttime, like finding a way to get your nights steady, which is a lot harder with kids with growth hormones. But like I said earlier, that's like a big chunk of your 24 hours. And so if you can nail that down and there's so many less variables happening because you're not eating and you're not moving around. So if you can figure that out, which honestly, since getting on control IQ, I haven't really had to deal with nighttime issues. Uh, But I will say that at least with Control IQ, because the target is 110 in sleep mode and it does not dose you when you're in sleep mode, it only raises basal. It doesn't give you mm-hmm. correction. So um, it will try to keep me around 110, whereas I used to sleep in like the 80 to 90 range. So I know that. So sometimes before bed, if I am like a little bit higher, like even 140, mm-hmm. <laughs> I will give myself more insulin because I know it's not going to bring me down actually as low as I want to be. Oh, yeah. Um, This is something we're just now starting where if we walk out of her room after reading stories and she's honestly above 130, I will give her 0.15. Just Mm -hmm. a little, just a little nudge because I know that the second she falls asleep, the restoration and the repairing of all of her cells and the growth that is being a freaking three-year-old is going to happen because that's, there's science behind it. Like it, kids and humans in general, but kids especially fall asleep and everything grows, heals and restores and their brain Mm -hmm. is growing and that requires energy, which is why the blood sugar rises. Yeah. So I know we both just talked a lot about like pretty low numbers that we're bumping and nudging. So I just want to remind everyone that like we're not being like crazy people over here trying to have this like perfect straight line like we mentioned Mm -hmm. before it's not realistic but sometimes when you're already kind of in range it's almost easier to stay in range by just giving those little micro doses and making small adjustments rather than waiting for it to be really high or really low and having to make large adjustments and so I think that's kind of the mindset that Amanda and I are both in we're at the point where we can just kind of bump our numbers around um 
But it's only, at least for me, it's only when it's easy to do. It's not when like there's a bunch of stuff going on. Like Mm -hmm. if like I used to work weddings, for example, and like I would just leave my pump on exercise mode and just let myself be wherever it was going to have me then, you know, like it's all situational. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like when you're just chilling at home and you see that you're going up a little bit, 160 diagonal arrow up, let's just bump that down. Let's not let it go high. You know, it's a constant game and fight that you're having with your blood sugar to try to stay in range. And again, it just will kind of click one day, even if it doesn't feel like it will. I think it will. (laughs) It will. It will click for sure. Well, that was a lot of info. This was my favorite episode. Like we just spilled so all the tea. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we love you guys so much, seriously. And it is both of our intentions to only ever create just a space that feels like safe and encouraging and informational real and, and honest, real yeah. and honest. Yes. And like wherever you're at in your journey and whatever goal you've set for yourself, like we want to applaud you when you get there. So if your goal is I want to get my kids A1C down to 8.5 and you get there, you are not going to hear from us. You need to do better. You should do lower. Mm -mm. lower. We're going to be like, fuck yeah, you did it. You know, that is what Type Together is. We are here to support all of you no matter what. So yes, give yourself grace always. Yes. Please don't take any of this as negative. Um, all right, so let's do a blood sugar check before yeah. we go. Hattie is seventy eight up seven. Woohoo! Okay, going back now. I know when I texted her teacher, she was like, "I already did it about two minutes ago." Her teacher, wow, best, the best, the best. I am one oh nine. I'm almost one oh eight. Oh man. <laughs> Ugh, I'm so close, but it is fun seeing all of you start to tag us in your 108 blood sugars. Yeah, it's been keep amazing. doing that, please. Definitely. And a little announcement. We do have some more ghosts coming this week. I know this isn't launching till next Tuesday, but maybe there will still be a few left. So check that out if you're looking for a diabetic ghost. Um, Ooh, our pumpkin yeah. painting in the park. Yes. Do you want to share about it? Yeah, I do. Um, Sorry, guys. Really quickly, we are going to have a San Diego event and an LA event, and we are going to do pumpkin painting in the park. (laughs) And so type one together, uh, you know, we'll bring the supplies and stuff, and it'll just be an awesome way for kids to connect, parents to connect, and yeah, stay tuned on all of our socials for details on that. Yay. All right, everyone. We will see you next week. Thanks for being here. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.